And I'm going to read uh, the passage that Nigel is going to preach from uh, this morning. And it is Luke 9, verses 51. Let's go with 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciple James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Lord, we just welcome uh, Nigel up uh, this morning. We thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We pray uh, that we hear from you this morning. We pray um, for your message uh, to resonate in our hearts as we uh, hear from this scripture. Amen. We're in this new series, The Road to Jerusalem. Uh, One more thing before we launch out. Uh, You remember a few weeks ago we raised some funds, over £1,300, and sent them out to Zimbabwe. We've got some thank you letters. So they've got together and written all these letters and sent them to us as a church. If you put the next sliders up, uh, please, Ben. I'll just read out two of them, and that's uh, a great photo of, uh, of Hannah there. Firstly, I'd like to greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonderful kind of gesture that you showed recently by sending us money for the groceries. It's not easy for one to dedicate his, her own precious money to people that they don't know. I, as one of the teachers and beneficiaries of the groceries, I was surprised and overwhelmed with gladness to see and receive them. And thank God that there are people that don't know you physically, but cares for you and your family in such a time that our economy is not well. May our Heavenly Father bless you and abundantly with good health, peace, and more years to serve in his kingdom. Yours faithfully, Lorraine Machingura. Isn't that lovely? And then one more. You can, I'll put them on the chair there. You can read them all afterwards if you'd like. Beloved Forest Hill Church members, my name is Lishe Shangula. I'm a mother of two children, one who is currently learning at One Way School. I don't have the right words to say except thank you so much for the support that you've shown my workplace and my family too. Hannah is such a blessing, enjoyable to work with, and has actually taught me a lot of different ways to teach in a creative way. Thank you so much for sending and supporting her. I'm extremely thankful for the support, and I will really appreciate it. I pray that our Lord will richly bless you in abundance. So it's great to see that the Church of Jesus Christ is worldwide, that we can come here, and without knowing most of those people, uh, we can give, and it makes a huge difference, and it's really appreciated out there. 
Okay, next slide, please. Back to the road to Jerusalem. Easter's coming. I know it felt like May a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of confused, and it's more like winter now. Easter's coming. Uh, the period we call Lent starts on Wednesday. And over the next few weeks, you won't be surprised that we're looking at the events of the earthly life of Jesus as we build up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And let's use this season to journey with Jesus. I know our lives are busy. I know there's lots of things we have to do, lots of things we could do. But in this significant time in the church calendar year, let's try and take some time out to read, to pray, to think about what Jesus went through, what Jesus achieved, what Jesus accomplished in those last critical weeks of his earthly ministry. Let's make some space to engage with God at this time. As you know, we've got four Gospels in the Bible, four biographies of the earthly life of Jesus, and they primarily focus on the last three years of his life, and they really major on the last week of his life or the last period leading up to that. Uh, Mark's Gospel, someone said that Mark's Gospel is basically Christ and him crucified. Paul talked about uh, preaching Christ and him crucified. So the first half of Mark 1 to 8 is about Jesus, his life, his miracles, his teaching. And the second half is all about those crucial events in the last few weeks or days leading up to his death on the cross. Fully half of the biography we have in Mark is about Calvary. We're in Luke today, and in Luke's gospel, you can divide that into three-thirds. And the passage we have that uh, Scott read out for us, Luke chapter 9, starts the second third. And it's a really pivotal passage, and it started off with this. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem or he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that's happening right at just at the beginning of the, the second third of the book, quite early in the book. Jesus knows what will happen there. He'll teach God's truth. Many will reject him. He'll be tortured and crucified. But Jesus is determined to do it because he knows it's his destiny. He knows it's his father's will for his life. He's determined to go to Jerusalem, to be tortured, to die, and then to rise again. And he's challenged by the thought of it. And he says, not my will, but yours be done to his father. He wants to do father's will. But ultimately, though there's pain uh, and suffering involved, there's joy as well. And Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In that verse in Luke 9 that we read, it says, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up or received up. And so I think that covers the whole, uh, the next events, the work that he's done. It covers the crucifixion where he's lifted up on the cross. It covers the resurrection when he's lifted up from the grave. And it covers the ascension when he's taken into and received into the heavenly realm to take his seat to rule and reign at the right hand of Father God on high. Such crucial things, the most crucial events in the whole of human history. 
And right at the early stage here in Luke's gospel, Jesus is focusing on that. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's determined to go there, and nothing's going to deflect him from it. And the events in Luke are kind of set in a journey. So let's be determined to carry on our journey with life, also journeying with Jesus. And in the, in the twists and turns of life, I don't know how many twists and turns you've had this week or this year or this month, in the twists and turns of life, let's be walking with Jesus. And as Jesus found his destiny and fulfilled Father God's will, let's find our destiny and fulfill God's will for our lives. And finally, John's gospel, when Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet in John 13, verse 1, it says this, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or you could translate it, he loved them to the uttermost. Jesus fully and completely loves his followers. And that was one of the messages coming through in our worship today, the great grace and love of Jesus for us. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you can think of stories in history. If you've done the Alpha course, there are stories where people have given their lives for others. What an amazing sacrifice. And Jesus, Son of God, gave his life for us. And it's so wonderful. The journey to Jerusalem will lead to the great act of love where Jesus willingly lays down his life. He's nailed to a cross. He bleeds and he dies for you and for me to release forgiveness, to cleanse us, and to give us the gift of eternal life. It's wonderful what Jesus has done for us. Let's celebrate that today. Total commitment. Not wishing to be irreverent, but changing pace a bit. Someone said this, the chicken and the pig are both involved in the English breakfast, but to different degrees. One makes an important contribution, but for the other, it's total commitment. And you can think about a nice contribution from one animal, but a life laid down from the other. And I don't wish to, to be irreverent or belittle it, but just struck me, Jesus' total and utter commitment, his wholeheartedness, his life laid down, his love for Father God, his love for us, his desire for us to have the gift of eternal life. He doesn't want anyone to perish for everyone to come to eternal life. And if you put the next slide up, please, Ben. Jesus is about total commitment. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. He sets his face to go. Nothing's going to deflect him. Rejection won't deflect him. Desertion from his followers won't deflect him. Imprisonment won't deflect him. False accusations won't deflect him. Torture and the prospect of torture won't deflect him. The agony of mind and spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane won't deflect him. Jesus is going to love us to the uttermost. Jesus is going to go all the way. Jesus is someone that had total commitment. He's totally committed 
to yours and my salvation. He's done everything necessary. You can't save yourself. You can't pull up your bootstraps, make yourself better. You can't make yourself good enough for God. But you don't have to. You just have to receive from him. He couldn't love you more. He couldn't have done any more for you. He's done it all. And let's enjoy his gift of salvation. Let's read the first part of the passage again uh, on the next slide. As the time approached, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked his disciples. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And we thought about Jesus' determination, but let's think a moment about the Samaritan rejection. There's animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. What was that about? Where, was the, where did the bad blood come from? And maybe it's a bit like Northern Ireland in the Troubles, if you're old enough to, to remember those times. Um, every one of us knows there's been animosity between Protestants and Catholics. You know the history of the nation. And you know those many years of the Troubles when people were being bombed and killed. There was that kind of inter-religious uh, divide there was one united kingdom of Israel, and then it was divided, and the north and the south were separated. And then the area of Samaria was invaded by the Assyrian armies, and the few surviving Jews were mixed with pagan tribes. So there's a kind of racial element there, racial animosity. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Jewish Bible, and they had a place of worship at Mount Gerizim. So this is the bit of Bible you should believe, and this is where to worship. There's a religious element in the animosity between them. And, of course, the Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews would travel through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans would often hassle or possibly attack the Jews traveling through Samaria to Jerusalem. Maybe some anti-Semitism there, I don't know, but I think they're both Semitic uh, races. If you put the next slide up, please, Ben. And you can see there the, the geography and uh, Jesus coming down from Galilee uh, to get to Jerusalem. And you can see the modern times there. We're talking about the West Bank area, and you know some of the political uh, things going on now. And Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem, so he was rejected. Jesus was going to do everything necessary to save us. And we have a choice. And those Samaritans, they may have felt persecuted by the Jews as well. They may have felt they had an excuse for not wanting this man walking through their territory to go to Jerusalem. They chose to reject him. And we don't judge them. We don't judge other people. But it's clear there's a choice. We either reject Jesus or we accept him. We welcome him into our lives or we turn our back on him. And that's a choice we all have to make. And I hope most or many of us have made that choice to welcome him and accept him. And that's the choice everyone has to make. And we want to be people that commend Jesus 
that live in a way that points in a good way to the person of Jesus. People that are, are humble about their own mess, but are proud of the work and commitment of Jesus. And point people to Jesus and give them the opportunity to accept him and to welcome him. That's the decision all of us have to make. And the Samaritans said, no. So if people reject us and say no, what do we do? Uh, well, the disciples didn't have a great reaction. They were offended on behalf of Jesus. I don't know if you ever felt offended on behalf of Jesus. I don't think he needs us to feel his offense. I think he coped with rejection and offense. He knows how to handle it. They were offended on his behalf, and they wanted to burn them up, to call fire from heaven and get rid of all these people. But that's not the spirit of Jesus. He rebukes them. He's coming from a different spirit. And John 3.17, you all know John 3.16. John 3.17 says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And so even though there's opposition, even though there's rejection, we're here to love, we're here to serve, we're here to commend Jesus to people in the hope that they will accept him. And Jesus doesn't react, doesn't fight back, doesn't say, yep, burn them up. He shows huge, huge grace. And, and we heard some of that from what Naomi shared earlier on. And immediately after this, what story does Jesus tell? Sam referred to it last week. Immediately after this, he tells the story of the good Samaritan. So the people that rejected him, the people that were turning their backs on him, the people that resented him walking through their territory, he makes one of them the hero in one of the most famous stories we have in the New Testament. The woman at the well, where was she from? Samaria. So while we know people have the opportunity to accept or reject Jesus, we're not here to condemn. We're here to love, we're here to handle some rejection, and we're to go on caring for people, wanting the best for them, and showing them the grace that Jesus showed. So what about us? Let's join the journey with Jesus. Next slide, please, Ben. If we welcome Jesus into our lives, then we join the journey of Jesus, the journey of discipleship that Scott's referred to earlier on as well. And we can, we can walk that together and not just individually. The second half of the passage looks at three people and the prospect of that journey of discipleship. So let's look at the, the second part of the passage, Luke 9 there. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. There's three characters uh, in the story there. One volunteers to follow, the other is invited by Jesus to follow him, and the third also volunteers. And the first one that's considering the journey of discipleship says, I'll follow you anywhere. 
And Jesus challenges that. If we're going to follow him, we need to count the cost of discipleship. He says, really? Are you prepared to be homeless? Think carefully. Don't just say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. You need to think about it. It's a serious commitment in life. The second person says, let me first go. Let me first go and bury my father. And that could have been a slightly longer-term thing that we think of. It could be let me care for my father over these next months or years until he dies and then sort out the affairs, and then I'll be ready to follow you. And it was a sacred duty to bury your father. So it's quite a shocking reply from Jesus. Let the dead bury their own dead. But he's saying there are higher priorities here. The spiritually dead can bury the physically dead. But you need to choose to follow me first. And the man said, let me first go and do something else. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. All the other things will work out. All the other responsibilities you worry, worry about, God will help you with. He won't make you hate your family. He won't make you be irresponsible. But if we say, first I want to go and do something else, then I'll follow you. That's a problem because we need to put him first in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the third person says, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And I think if we want to look back, then we'll want to go back, and that'll be a real problem. And discipleship following Jesus is about going forward. It's about looking forward. It's about persevering. So there's a cost in commitment. There's a cost in discipleship. And just as Jesus did everything for us and put us first and gave up everything for us, God wants us not to faff around, but to have a passion for him, to put him first in our lives. It shouldn't just be a leisure activity. It shouldn't just be, well, I'll do what Jesus says if I've got time at the end of the day. Our lives can revolve around our relationship with Jesus that's at the center. And I need to be revived in that and excited by the work of the kingdom of God. Discipleship is life-changing and life-shaping, not just something to do with a few minutes of our time if we feel like it, if we're not too tired. So how do we press on? Where are we going? Let's just look at these few things as we finish. How do we press on with Jesus? I put five things there. The image is of someone considering um, launching out on, on a ski jump. I've never, I have skied very badly. Uh, I have fallen over very a few times. I have uh, crashed into someone else. She wasn't very pleased when I did that. My skiing is not very good. But just as Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and fulfill his destiny and do all that the Father had called him to do, I just saw that image of someone thinking, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to really go for it? Sitting on the ledge there and going to launch out. And if you're going to do a ski jump, you have to be totally committed to it, don't you? So there's a few things I've put up there to consider as we close. One is being wholehearted. Jesus said his face. Are we going to respond wholeheartedly to him? We sang excellent songs today. Thank you, Dion 
on message. Fantastic. Played so well. Thank you, band. One we didn't sing was, I have decided to follow Jesus. Now I can't sing. But just that note of wholehearted commitment. Do you want to sing it, Dion? Maybe not. It's not on the list, I don't think, Scott. But you can pick something else. That kind of wholehearted, I'm up for it. I'm in for it. Jesus laid down his life for me. I'm going to put my life on the line and really go for this. That kind of wholeheartedness is so good, isn't it? Back in the Old Testament, who got into the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. What was said about Caleb? All the others were, "Uh, don't know about this. We might be killed. It's worse in there. Let's go back. And Caleb was, let's go for this, 100%. He followed God wholeheartedly, and so he enters the promised land. When God wants to come to earth as a human being, the angel appears to Mary, and she says, let it be to me according to your word. She's fully available to God. She's wholehearted in her commitment to him. David just worshipped God. He was just a heart after God, wasn't he? He just went for it. He loved God. He had lots of faults and failings as well in his life, but someone that wholeheartedly loved God. And he prayed for his son Solomon, and he said this to him before he died and handed over to Solomon. You, my son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. That's what his father wanted for his son, that kind of wholehearted commitment. And we love people that are wholehearted, don't we? It's wonderful, and that touches the heart of Jesus. The woman who smashed the alabaster jar and that valuable perfume rose, and she washed Jesus' feet. Huge sacrifice in earthly terms, but it was worth it for her Lord's. The widow who gave her last two coins away and had literally nothing, there were no benefits, there was no food bank to go to. She gave away to God, wholehearted commitment to him. It's a wonderful thing. And I want God to touch my heart and for me to be wholehearted and not treating Jesus like a half-hearted thing that maybe I can fit in. And I've known that at times uh, when I became a Christian, I had nothing to offer God at all. I was a teenager. I was struggling in life. All I did was kind of lie there and say, God, come into my life. I've got nothing to offer you. I'm completely empty-handed, but I give you. For what it's worth, it's probably not worth that much. I give my life to you. And there are times when we can do that. Maybe you have done that. Let's be renewed in being wholehearted towards Jesus. I remember leaving my job. Most of us will, will work uh, and in secular work and not uh, work for the church, but I quit my job. And it was kind of laying things on the line. We're not all called to do that thing, but the willingness to lay things down and say, yeah, I'll just go with you, Jesus. I'll do anything you want me to do. But we need God's grace to be wholehearted, don't we? If I try and be wholehearted just in my own strength, if I try and be fully devoted just in my own strength, despite my best intentions, I'm going to fail, 
I'm not going to live up to my own good intentions. And the Christian message isn't must try harder, you know, go away from here and try harder. The Christian message is about leaning into God, leaning into God's grace, depending on him. And Jesus served the Father perfectly. Jesus fulfilled his mission wholeheartedly. And Jesus, if you've done that, I'm weak. I kind of want to do that, but I'm going to fail. But Jesus, you're living in me by your Holy Spirit. So by your grace, I can start to live that way for you. So we need to depend on God's grace, not just my own efforts. But it is about cooperation. We need to play our part. And Philippians 2.12 says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you read that and think, it's all down to me. I've got to kind of fight hard to try and be a good Christian. But then it goes on to say, for God is at work in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. And it's about cooperation, it's about partnership. And our part is often just to make ourselves available to God. So I'm not working out my own salvation trying to be a good Christian. I'm making myself available to God so he can work in my life and I can be more wholeheartedly devoted to him and one of the things I was at a conference this week I wasn't in Malta I was in Manchester so Sam and I drew straws he got Malta I got Manchester Um, and uh, it was about going deeper with God and one phrase has lived with me from the conference from yesterday if you want to go further you've got to go deeper if you want to go further you've got to go deeper And we can kind of swim around on the surface. But if we dive deep, then there's so much more. It's challenging. We need bigger lungs, more of God's spirit to do it. But there's so much more. And let's not swim around on the surface, but let's go deeper. If you want to go further, you've got to go deeper. And then the last two, a sense of destiny. Jesus completed his journey He went to the cross, he rose again, he was received into heaven, and he fulfilled his destiny. What's your destiny? What's your calling? What gifts have you got? Discover or reaffirm your destiny. Check out the calling God's given you. Maybe there's been a change in that, an adaptation. Often our calling goes in the same kind of direction. But as life moves on, there can be different elements to it. What gifts have you got? And are you using them for the kingdom of God? Jesus fulfilled everything. Let's get into our destiny. Let's honor our calling. Let's use our gifts. And finally, we need some encouragement, don't we? And uh, I remember going away on sabbatical a couple of years ago. And uh, I was going between two places and used to be a member of the National Trust and uh, went into a place. There was a kind of an old church on this kind of country house grounds. And I walked in. It wasn't used for regular worship. And it was freezing cold. I just remember pacing around this old church for something to do uh, for a few minutes. Just a freezing cold church. So dedicated to the work of God, but absolutely freezing cold. And then I went to a monastery. And uh, there were some elderly monks there. But it happened to be at a time where there was a conference 
uh, and there were 300 uh, students and young people, and they were loving Jesus and worshipping God. And it was like, wow, you could feel the heat. You could feel the love for Jesus. You could feel the commitment. You could feel the warmth. And we need encouragement. And if you, if you need to feel some heat in your life, stand next to a fire. And I think the church can be reduced to a cold building with nothing there. Or the real church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, filled with his spirit, can be like a, a wonderful fire. And God promises us the fire of the Holy Spirit working in us. And if we, we need some heat, let's stand next to a fire. Let's be with other Christians that are really going for it for Jesus. Let's open up our hearts to worship him and let's receive more of the Holy Spirit. So we're on this journey. We're going to the cross. We're going to the resurrection. We're thinking of the ascension. Jesus was totally focused, totally determined, has done everything necessary to bring us to salvation. And we want to get in the good of that and in the heart of that and in the spirit of that, by his grace, be people that are on fire again for Jesus and for his kingdom. Amen.